Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast and this is another coronavirus uh, special edition I guess where I'm just going back and chatting to a previous guests about how they've responded and what they are doing in their business to cope in these challenging times. Um, today I'm going to chat with Kirsty Loveday and Kirsty runs uh, Love Drinks and uh, we chatted originally probably six or seven months ago about her great business and some of the small boutique kind of producers and brands that she represents and then distributes across the hospitality sector generally through wholesalers. So Kirsty and I are going to chat about when she found out about uh, the virus which was an unusual way in a very personal circumstance and then what she's now doing in her business to manage that. Uh, and I just wanted to also say that the uh, podcast now is being supported by Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com forward slash humans of hospitality, um, it would be lovely if you can uh, sign up and make a donation there and join the membership community. Um, I used to fund this podcast through my hospitality businesses. So I have a few bars and restaurants down in Bournemouth, but they are all closed. I'd love to keep the podcast going uh, and any help and support would be hugely appreciated. But also go to the website humansofhospitality.co.uk uh, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Okay, thank you so much and uh, I hope you very much enjoy this week's episode. Kirsty Loveday, uh, thank you so much for rejoining me. Last time I came and sat with you in London, but here we are, locked down in our respective homes. How are you? Uh, I'm not too bad. Thank you, Mark. Thanks so much for inviting me back. Yes, I'm right. holed hold up in a spare bedroom at the moment. Amazing. Well, thank you for keeping me sane by giving me the opportunity to uh, to speak to some other grown-ups. I've, I've asked my children. We've just done Joe Wicks together, actually. Have you done any of that yet? Oh, fabulous. I don't have children, so no. I think there's more I hear, adults I hear doing it's it. been entertaining the adults as well. The, so. bunny, the bunny rabbit and the kangaroos this morning. My kids <laughs> actually both left the room, I think, appalled by how embarrassing their parents were. Oh, so my don't feel me. that you have to have kids <laughs> to do it. Just, just jump on there. Anyway, so we're going to have a chat. Yeah, sort of very much uh, you know, corona update, I suppose, on, on how you're... Uh, you're doing personally, but also how your business is responding and all that kind of stuff. Um, can you tell me just when it was clear to you that this was about to have an impact? Because we saw it roll out sort of over China, and then we sort of started to creep into Europe. Were you ahead of the curve? Did you Were you aware that this was going to hit hard? Or did something happen that triggered your kind of uh, reaction? Well, from a business perspective, it was really, it was the Monday um, when kind of Boris started telling everybody not to visit um, bars and restaurants. That's when we knew it was going to have such a massive impact. Personally, however, I was actually um, traveling in Vietnam and came back via Hong Kong in January. And when I actually came home, I started to feel unwell. I went to the doctors for something else because I had no doctor's appointment booked. Um, and I ended up getting um, kind of locked in in the doctor's surgery, and I was kind of the first person presenting with um, coronavirus. Now, that was kind of right at the beginning of February. Um, and I, so, so do you mean you had it or you had symptoms? No, I, I had symptoms of it, but I was tested. I was the first person to go in the wow. testing pod in Kingston Hospital, really? which was a very unusual uh, um, circumstance, uh, situation. Um, so is that your full-on kind of hazmat suit kind of yeah, lockdown sort of thing? Or? Honestly, at one moment I was terrified and the next moment I was in absolute hysterics. You kind of <laughs> don't know how to deal with it. And the doctor at the time was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that we're treating you this way. We've got to follow protocol. So I don't think anybody really realised how serious it was going to be. But I'd obviously wow. seen a lot of people wearing masks and all the news because I'd been out in Vietnam 
and Hong Kong. And then I'd also been in the office and the sense of guilt that I felt for being there and then going to the doctors, I felt so irresponsible. Um, but they yeah. only just started saying, call 111. So I think it really hit home then. And I just thought, you know, I've really got to protect my team and think about this. So we started yeah. really early on um, putting measures in place to make sure that everybody could work from home. Right, um, hang on, I, 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 I've got to come back to that because I'm just at the minute in, in my head, you're still locked in a glass cube in a hospital. Oh my god! So what did they like? Because at, at that point, you couldn't get instantaneous results, could you? Did no, you have to it, sit in this cube for a couple of days, or did they it, just send you home, or what it, happened? It took quite a long time. So I was in the doctor's surgery for two and a half hours, and I was trying to negotiate my way out of there, mainly because <laughs> <laughs> I really needed to go to the toilet, and I didn't want to pee in the cup that it offered me and tip it down the sink so I had to remember, had to maintain some dignity he realized that my car was outside so he allowed me to go home and wait for the hospital so then I had to go um to the car park at the hospital wait in a, a specified parking slot just for me and then wait two hours to go into this pod to be tested it took three days for the results to come back. And between that time, I had been in connection with other people and they were kind of phoning to see how I was. And I had to kind of tell them the situation. And you realise that people really panic about these things. I felt very relaxed about the whole situation. I'm just, it takes a lot to, to scare me. I knew I'd be fine because I'm, I'm, you know, mentally and physically strong. Seeing how other people were reacting to it was quite scary actually and then not I didn't tell my family because I didn't want them to know and then I got the results back saying that it was negative on the Monday but it'd been three days in like self-isolation before everybody else started doing it so and when was this did you say in January but right yeah. at the beginning of February, so it was like February. a taster, yeah. Yeah, well, you did, you did mm. get. I wasn't. Uh, that wasn't the, the uh, answer I was expecting. <laughs> so uh, that's a pretty dramatic insight to what was to come for the country. And then work-wise, uh, back to that. So was there just a huge sort of instantaneous uh, drop off in in orders? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I was shocked at how quickly this affected our business. Um, but I guess in hindsight, thinking about the supply chain, as soon as kind of Boris said, don't go into pubs and restaurants, yes, there was absolute outrage from the industry. But, you know, in theory, it was the right thing to do. What he should have done really is say, you know, we're banning going into these 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 venues. Because um, people were really confused about what was the right and wrong thing to do. But literally, as soon as that had been announced, our customers, which are in essence wholesalers, so um, my business is a distribution business. We import and um, and represent some British brands as well, make them available, mainly through wholesalers, because 70% of our business is bars and restaurants. So we knew overnight that this was going to have a massive impact on our business. And the wholesalers that are sat on stock, they were obviously panicking as well. So they stopped ordering. So literally, it was like turning a tap off. I think we got we normally get between 10 and 16 orders a day various sizes mainly from wholesalers and just overnight we we, we had two that week that wow. was like the, the first week for us I'm counting this as like week three we're in week three yeah. aren't we really of 
of chaos yeah, and of the new world i think because people you know hospitality certainly the front face and the restaurants and the bars are getting a lot of focus but it's why, kind of why i've wanted to go up the supply chain a little bit really and and, and see how quickly because i'm you know i'm speaking to accountants and lawyers who are also having an impact albeit i think they're going to be exceptionally busy when we come out the other side of this but it's interesting yeah. how far the ripple effects are but yours is nigh on instantaneous are you getting government support in the same way as the bars and restaurants Do you know with what? regards i'm thinking the grants and stuff like that yeah i mean we should be we're kind of piecing it all together so initially we had to make a plan and you know as an entrepreneur you always kind of fear the worst anyway you're constantly planning for the worst case scenario so I'd like to think that I'm kind of in my element in in this situation but we pulled together as a team the senior team instantly said right we can slash salaries not that anybody's paid particularly highly unfortunately in this industry nor in my business uh, but the key people the people that could afford it more took the biggest hit um, and then we um, communicated with the team about going part-time because, quite frankly, our our main sales team are the guys on the ground, the guys and girls on the ground going out to the bars and restaurants. And even though the bars were still open, we couldn't have them going in there trying to, you know, sell a bottle of Goslings or get a new Pedrino listing or, um, you know, get a new cocktail listing, offer training when they're worried about paying their own teams, feeding their own families it was really insensitive. We had a real challenge in terms of what to actually communicate to our team, you know, how to deal with it. Um, so we made we made a plan A, which was part-time hours, um, taking some holidays. Um, and that was like a really immediate plan so that we weren't going to have to do anything really drastic um, like some people have done and have still done, even though the government... Um, employee retention scheme has been introduced so yeah so I was going to say those pay cuts and I, I did similar with my team I think we I said look can you come back particularly my senior team it was hard because I, I employ over 100 people but with the senior guys mm. who I needed to rebuild the company I said look tell me what you need to live on and at that point it was still kind of you know pay your mortgages pay your bills come back and tell mm. me and most people came back and it was about 40% cut they could cope with they could cope with with a 60% of their pay uh, if if they really needed to and that's kind of what we'd agreed so then and then the furlough scheme came out and it was kind of a rejoice really because 80% was a lot better than 60 was that similar with your guys that that you'd, you'd agreed to cut but actually the furlough scheme is gonna help more than that or have you not been able to yeah. furlough them? Yeah, we have. I think, um, well, three quarters of the team, we are furloughing as of um, the 1st of April. So we maintained our kind of uh, what we were going to do for the rest of March. Um, people have been tying up some stuff because we still want to maintain that we can communicate with our customers if they need it. So we have a kind of a core crisis team of myself and Sam, who's the MD, um, our finance lady, and then Opt and, and Orders. Um, and we can, you know, we're having everybody's kind of email that's um, forwarded to us. So we can, you know, we're still here, basically. But mm. the government offering that scheme has definitely been um, a lifeline for us. Um, otherwise, I don't know what we would have done long term. And we've been trading for 13 years this year. And we're in a lucky position that although we haven't got lots of cash in the bank, we've got cash reserves that have built up over those years. Um, and we, you know, we can eat into those to survive. But I'm really concerned about a lot of other small independent brands that have just launched in the last few mm. years and how they're gonna they're gonna cope and survive. Um, yeah. 
we'll, we'll come back to those brands, but just you mentioned that 70% of your uh, trade is to hospitality. Does that mm-hmm. mean that 30% is the retail market? And is that 30% yeah. still holding up? Or? Well, we were really hopeful that we'd see a, quite a big spike there. Um, we've all, we're also in a position where we, um, we have quite an aggressive retail strategy at the moment. A lot of our brands are much smaller. We launched them in the on-trade. We pushed them into retail. And this year was all about retail. We recruited a new role for new business. Um, so, you know, as everything else dropped away, we saw some small glimmers of hope in places like Waitrose, the Gosling's ready-to-drink can spiking on a Monday. But then we started getting communication from all the retailers saying that, unfortunately, they're going to have to cancel or delay purchase orders, orders because, quite rightly, they are allocating more space for toilet roll and pasta. Mm. I mean, I say quite rightly, but obviously all these idiots have been um, – you know, stockpiling food that's now getting wasted is just angering me greatly. Um, yeah, but don't I want guess, an angry Kirsty. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the supermarkets had to do what they felt was right. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. I hadn't thought of that. To be fair, I'd, I'd kind of seen this this big boom in in you know yeah supermarkets and kind of thought, oh great, people will be drinking at home, and if you've got a retail route to market, you'll be okay. But you're right, they are restricting to essential purchases sort of only really I suppose aren't they understandably so yeah. uh, I guess that's difficult have you got some independent I, I don't know the off licenses and stuff like that I did see at one point they were allowed to stay open is that correct have you got some they, routes into that market yeah they um they reopened them um but a few just near where I live over in Teddington they closed down immediately and even though it's announced that off licenses are essential they haven't reopened um, and I think people yeah. are just quite fearful. So online is is still quite buoyant. But as I say, for us, it's, it's probably less than 30% of our brands are in that sector. And so people see, buy online directly from you, Kirsty? Well, we are looking, third party. We're looking at some strategies that might enable us to do that in this, this current climate. So we're looking at how we can kind of pivot our business accordingly without jeopardizing the future because we don't want to be stepping on the toes of our retailers that we are hugely reliant on um, Mm -hmm. for the future growth of our brands but in this period if we have a number of our brands are only available in the on-trade bars and restaurants um, and they're not in retail is there a way that we can uh, work something out so we're looking at setting up like a Shopify account and seeing if we can use our social media marketing um, to drive awareness and then direct it specifically to a business yeah. to customer platform. Did you listen um, to the episode I did with uh, Canton T last week? Have you heard? I that did. Yet? I've listened to them. Yeah. yeah so I was going to say they, they did the same, really, didn't they? They and you know normally do not supply direct, yeah. but you know in twenty four hours built a direct to market uh, route, which um, I think is a good idea. And you're right, things yeah. like Shopify are a pretty quick way of getting that set up. Yeah. So you know, good good luck if you do it. Um, I also wanted to ask because I know a lot. You know, a lot of your stuff now is UK based, but you've also got products coming in from uh, Sweden and from Brazil and sort of globally yeah. Um, yeah. did that give you an insight I mean are you speaking to some of these suppliers and is it giving yeah. you ins- insight into the sort of the global level of this impact I guess well yeah definitely I mean we've obviously had to put our, our team first and deal with the financial situation but also kind of the, the mental the motivation kind of angle as well and I'd, I'd love to kind of talk about that a bit more we will be yeah don't Um, worry that's coming but in terms of our brand owners we also have you know nine brands that we represent um and you know it's it's so important that we maintain the supply um at the moment so our biggest brand is gosling's rum from bermuda 
um, and they're facing a lot of their own own challenges anyway, as many as many brands are, um, you know, in, in different markets with certain distributors. Um, and it's come at a really, really challenging time for them. Um, in terms of supply, I think it's more that um, there's more people working from home. And obviously, you can't work from home in the supply chain. So orders are taking a little bit longer. Um, we're not seeing any impact on being able to raise purchase orders, apart from them maybe being two to three days late at the moment. But it's only a, it's, we're only on week three. What's going to happen on you know week twelve? Is, if this is still the situation, will Herno Gin still be able to get all the botanicals they need to make their products? You know, especially some of their more limited edition products. So everyone is facing their own battles with their own team and their own supply chain. So. Uh- and the level of lockdown, I guess I'm, I'm thinking of uh, South America, for example, I'm not aware of, of where they're at. But, you know, Sweden, for example, is keep, at the moment keeping its bars and restaurants open. Have you spoken to any suppliers where, I don't know, the, the response, I suppose, is either different to the UK approach or have you not really gone into that level of detail? We've not gone into that level of detail. I mean, communication is so key when challenges like this happen. So we're making sure that we're keeping all of our suppliers aware of the measures and strategies that we're putting in to future-proof our business and therefore their brand in the UK. And that's probably the most important thing for us. We're really, really busy kind of doing that at the moment. I think as things quieten down, which they will inevitably, um, in, they inevitably will in the next few weeks, we'll be able to kind of dig a little bit deeper. We're setting up some, you know, Zoom calls. Um, our brand owners are part of our family. We have really deep, relationships with them really good friendships and we really work as partners so they're really keen to understand the strategies that we're implementing our business and to see if they can implement some of them for their team or their business as well so we're doing a lot of kind of sharing of information um at the moment which is it's nice it's bringing us all yeah. together yeah, it was interesting, isn't it? I think, you know, the, the reason that this is called the Humans of Hospitality and why I love our sector is it's full of some really beautiful people, I think, isn't it? And and we have this, uh, I don't know, maybe growing reputation for just being an industry full of lovely humans. And, and from mm. what I've seen about the complete decimation of our industry in the space of 72 hours, yet still seeing a lot of positivity coming out of those people even though it's challenging times you know even yourself you sound pretty upbeat for somebody who's Mm -hmm. who's, you know it's hard to see how this ends uh, financially I suppose Um, have you got any examples of of the sort of community side have you had suppliers or customers getting in touch and uh, yeah kind of offering to help and you mentioned around you know the mental health aspect which I know is something very personal to you yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of kind of initiatives. I mean, in terms of like my initial reaction was, especially when we realized that we were going to have to move the sales team down to part time or furlough them, was like, we've got such a great committed and engaged team, you know, and also there's a sense of responsibility for their for their well-being as well. Some of them live alone, their families are not nearby, they may live in other countries, they may feel quite isolated. So I kind of go between like crisis management, what do we need to do for the business, speaking to the accountant, seeing what grants and loans are available, but actually thinking, right, we need to put a personal development plan in place for the team. We need to keep them motivated with clear goals on what they're going to achieve while they're off. Because quite frankly, none of my team want to be sat at home getting paid 80% and doing nothing. I'm sure for a lot of people, they will quite enjoy it. Yes, they'll feel frustrated because it's quite boring, but none of my team want to be doing that. 
Um, and there's a real kind of sense of responsibility for keeping them engaged. But some of the creativity that I've seen across the industry and lots and lots of humour. I mean, initially there were um, the bars and restaurants doing the takeaways with free toilet roll. If people were ordering, you've got to laugh. I know it's serious and there's people that are really unwell um, and dying around the world. But, you know, humour is one way that we can all get through this. Um and, you know, I'll continue to, to use humour and try and keep people upbeat as well. Our sales team have been, you know, holed up in their 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 flats or houses on their balconies, making cocktails with our brands and uploading them onto our WhatsApp group so that we can share it on social media. And frantically doing this before the furlough date of tomorrow kicks in because we don't want to be seen to be you know, breaching any kind of government guidelines on what our team should and shouldn't be doing. But at the end of the day, it's you know, it's their, it's their, it's a vocation for them. It's, you know, that's what they want to be doing. So they could be doing this in their own time. It's not that their company is asking them to contribute. Yeah, th- They're just using their time wisely and trying to engage with people. It's a really interesting point, I think, isn't it? One we're all grappling with is this, uh, yeah, you cannot work whilst furloughed and what constitutes work and what doesn't. I like the grey areas. I get slightly concerned by the number of people asking the government to be much more precise and much more specific. You know, we've looked at cancelling our team's email accounts, you know, whether we need to demonstrate that to show that they're not working. But whilst also thinking, look, we've got a social responsibility here to look after our team Mm. and to communicate with them and to keep them in the loop. And inevitably, there's going to be a period of creativity about how do we come out of this the other side and is that work or is that just you know preservation of what we what we hope to rebuild so i'm hoping that the government do not uh stipulate too much in many ways and that we can kind of you know read between the lines clearly the intention is there that fundamentally they want to save you know up to three million jobs you know in our industry alone let alone across the rest of the sector but it is it is a real challenge so you know i'm saying to my team you know can, can, can you hop on a call with me but obviously it's voluntary uh, because yes. you're not working yeah. um, but let, let's hope we can apply some some common sense to that I suppose. yeah yeah we, I know, we, I mean, I, I, we've been sorry no go on we've been doing regular kind of zoom calls every day we've had like a, a zoom coffee hour where we can just kind of vent and talk about personal stuff kind of fears for the future we had one yesterday and said you know we just need to establish that at the end of the day guys we're we're friends we're colleagues but we're also friends so how do we you know make sure we maintain this level of engagement and motivation without, you know, because we cannot, we've got so much faith in this government that they are going to give us this money. And as a small organisation, the, you know, the portal is not going to be set up until the end of April. So, you know, I'm putting all my eggs in their basket and saying, you know, we want to keep our team. We've got to find cash flow to get us through the next two paydays because I don't think we're going to release this money until end of may june at the earliest you know well yeah i i hope that's not i mean i know they've said end of april is a target and i think the industry is pushing i mean you know just our example we've got 100 um our team members our payroll is about 120 to 130 thousand pounds a month and the pot is dry we paid everybody in full this month that was my commitment to them i said look i will i will do whatever i can to make sure you all get paid in march but after that we cannot pay again until the support comes through so if you've got the cash flow and i know some companies have that's great but then you know there's companies like i think carluccio's are only paying 50 percent of their team or 50 percent of what they're owed this month and now they've gone into administration at least saying that the administrators will furlough the whole 2000 crew that they've got but i think the message to the government has to be you've got to get that money fast because for us and i know a lot of 
you know, bars and restaurants, and I'm sure it's the same in, in drinks with you, but the summer is when we make our money. That's when people drink more. It's when they're mm. outside and, you know, we're in a tourism town. I was reading about uh, Rick Stein. I've got Mitch Tonks from Rockfish on the podcast tomorrow. We all hang on for dear life through the winter and then we get to the summer yeah. and that's when we make our cash. So timing-wise, this is really challenging and, and actually how we come out of it um, is going to be really interesting because the longer it is into the season or potentially even into autumn, we're going to have missed a whole summer's cash flow and then we're going straight into our loss making period so yeah i think the message to the government is that it's got to be fast otherwise there's going to be you know over a million people i think furloughed already in hospitality with the potential to get up to you know two and a half million Mm. uh that's a lot of people to not have the money to you know pay for their rent and their shopping and stuff isn't there so we'll see Um, i remember you as a as a child you know your your parents went through a a recession in in the pub from memory when we were chatting i remember you set up in 2007 around the sort of you know financial crash um how well prepared do you feel for this? You, you mentioned just now that, you know, you, you kind of, you're good in a crisis. Do you think this is when that sort of entrepreneurial spirit steps up and, and this is kind of what, you know, when we really prove that we're leaders, I guess? I don't think anybody can be prepared for this because nobody knows what's going to happen. I guess what I've been just grappling with and trying to understand in my own head over the last two or three weeks is, you know, individuals fear of this situation as an entrepreneur that kind of risks everything to set up a business you're constantly hurtling with unknowns so I'm kind of used to it and I've tried to put myself into other people's shoes people that have had the security of a job all their lives have um, responsibilities in terms of you know mortgages and children and, and how they must be feeling and also watching how people react when they're scared And I think that's when you've just got to dig deep and find a huge amount of empathy and patience, um, which I'm getting better with those two things, actually. There's a period period of cooling down and people have to realise that it's not going to go back to how it was. So, you know, we're not going to go back to how it was before. It's a whole new normal now. There's a significant amount... um, less we can do with our time and therefore it's all a good cost saving nobody can actually spend that much money apart from just eating and drinking at the moment anyway there's no traveling to work and um, you know so it's a whole different situation so I think it's people just need to get their head around that it's not how it was before it, the world has turned on its head it's completely different and I think that that fear of change people can go through that process at a different speed and get their head around it and be more comfortable with it. For those who can't, it's about just having a huge amount of empathy and support um, and trying to explain and and show case studies and and share as much information and being really authentic and being transparent and being really vulnerable about how you feel just gives a lot of people a lot of comfort, I've, I've been finding. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't really thought about that, but you're right. As an entrepreneur, we're sort of used to this volatility, I suppose, and, and lack of certainty around the future. And that's why we do what I, we do. But it's also why a lot of people don't do what we do. And it must be even more traumatic if you need that uh, constant, I suppose. When you say that things you know, won't be the same again, and a few people have said this, are there some specific things that you're thinking of that, that aren't going to go back to normal at the end of this? Or? I mean, I think a lot of people have shown their true colours in this crisis, whether it's been scared people acting in the wrong way and they've got themselves some terrible publicity good old tim martin at weatherspoons he's not going to get too many supporters after this i don't think um so we've seen a few people that have done things that have made people um redundant and then um or sacked them however you want to call it um and then the government 
uh, employee retention scheme came on and they didn't take them back. Um, and I'm like, I don't really understand that. Is it because it's just like a HR issue? So I, and I'm not going to name any of these companies. Of course I'm not. But I know that our support is not going to go to to those people. We've seen some of our customers, some of our wholesalers that have acted in a manner that we don't think is fair or kind or the right thing. And when this all finishes, you're going to remember those people that will dig deep and, you know, put their last penny on the table to support their team. Because that's what mm. it, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. It's all about the, the, the team moving businesses forwards. And there's a lot of greedy people that have just gone, I don't want to lose my cash reserves. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just snip a few heads off instead. People yeah, with I millions, I mean, millions in the bank. It's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and the point of you know me launching this uh, podcast over a year ago now was around this kind of uh, you know, not not even support the little guy. I mean, I respect the big guys and the fact they managed to build up their businesses, but what I don't think we should have is exclusively them. I think hospitality and and maybe for the first time, people are really realizing how important their local cafe and their local bar mm. and restaurant is because now they're they're really missing it. And I do hope it, it feels like we've got this real sense of community coming out people helping each other out on a local level the was it approaching a million volunteers across the country who've stepped up the love for the nhs i, I hope mm. that one of the positives and i don't know how long it will last but if we can keep that that love and feeling of community and and yeah try and support uh local would be would be absolutely incredible uh, if that could come off the back of this. Uh, yeah. Maybe if we're not all flying around the world, as soon as this uh, pauses, we'll have a little bit more time in the UK to appreciate, you know, all those amazing humans in lots of industries. But I think, um, you know, where we spend our birthdays and our anniversaries and our date nights and our time with loved ones, you know, that that's the thing that's all, always motivated me about hospitality. It's not about what you eat and what you drink. It's about the time that you spend with people. And if yeah. we can come off the back of this, remembering that a little bit more, that would be really exciting. Yeah. Um, one of the things I remember you and I also chatted about last time was this uh, love, love well. It was the kind of the exercise and you know getting people out onto Clapham Common and, and exercise for bar staff. Yeah. Um, obviously, you can't do that at the moment. As, have you seen any initiatives? We we started this with a chat about Joe Wicks sort of doing some online yeah. stuff. But is that is that paused at the moment? That kind of mental health or physical health of bar staff? Uh, any ideas? Or do you think when you get some free time in the next few weeks, you might allocate some headspace to that? Well, we were just about to try and launch something um, with um, Tim from Healthy Hospo. Um, Tim was actually, uh, he actually came down with a COVID-19. Um, so he's been really unwell, but is now recovering. Thank goodness. Good. We were going to launch something with him um, so that we could do some kind of online courses. We found that getting people into venues has been increasingly difficult um, to do, you know, any sort of training or engagement. So we were going to trial something online. So I'm still quite committed to doing that. But to be honest with you, it, that is on hold at the moment. Um, I'm very much encouraging my team to keep fit and healthy and making sure that they're setting their own personal challenges, both mentally and physically. Um, also encouraging them to do any kind of charity work they can do. So I've just signed up to a local charity rules and I've been shopping for a, a man who has got a serious spleen condition so struggles to get out anyway and you know no act of kindness is completely selfless it's made me feel so much better that I can you know physically do something for somebody that can't help themselves um so I'm really trying to you know um encourage our team to, to do the same there's a lot of charities out there I know a lot of people are trying to kind of create their own 
um, kind of well-being initiatives and help. But there's a lot of things that are already established that people can sign up to supporting as well. So look locally in their community. Yeah, true. And that's another thing maybe that will come out of this, you know, back to that community aspect, I suppose, if you're meeting these neighbours that you've not spoken to before, and, you know, same in my street, you're kind of offering to help each other. And if that, I'm sure, will carry on afterwards, and there'll be some connections made, uh, that and, and online house parties, maybe that'll be a thing yeah. that carries on. Uh, <laughs> it's, and, it's, and people can buy some quality booze from you yeah. to uh, enjoy those, Kirsty. So. Exactly, exactly. Um. I, at the minute, it feels almost impossible to predict, you know, where this goes and what the outcome is. But have you given any thoughts as to when you're expecting to, I don't know, like you say, maybe not business as, as normal because it's not going to go back to that. But when are you sort of predicting uh, reopening and resupplying the hospitality sector? Any thoughts on that? I mean, we've been, we've kind of been working on three months. Um, I don't know if that's really optimistic or not, but in terms of looking at our budget, we've there's no point in just having a budget that takes us to the end of the year because it's so dismal um, and depressing. I just had to move past that. And we are, we've always said we're going to be here for the long term. So we're looking at a, you know, a longer budget that looks a bit more optimistic. Um, but I guess we've said to our sales team that, you know, it's kind of the, the, the three months. Um, but if there's an opportunity to bring them back earlier, then we will. Um, retail and forging forwards in that sector is, is was really important to us before all this happened so we've made some really good progress there we're very keen to re-establish that role as a priority um but we can't do that until people start ordering and more importantly actually paying us because not only <laughs> have the orders stopped coming in but nobody seems to want to pay us either um, and i can't yeah. blame them so debt collection at the moment is tricky <laughs> yeah i'm 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 owing uh, a number of people some cash myself yeah. and it's it's really difficult it's really yeah. hard and yeah. Uh, yeah i i you know what's been lovely is that many companies have said we get it. We're not going to hassle you. You know, we want you to survive this. We'll trade with you. Yes. We'll help you out. You know, we'll come out the other side and we'll work it out together. And we yeah. can do no more than sort of say, look, yeah, that is the reality of the situation yeah. is no money in, no money out. And most yeah. of them are recognizing that paying the team, you know, was the priority, but it's, exactly. it's very awkward. I think most of us is uh, certainly in the SME side of it, you know, we're little companies. We, uh, you know, we buy mainly from people rather than big brands and big companies and and we you know we've always been in a position where we want we want to pay our bills we want to support those other businesses and being in a position where you can't is exceptionally awkward but yeah uh, okay well look um thank you for sparing the time for a catch-up uh it's good to hear that you're uh you know alive and kicking and, and yes. thinking of ideas and looking <laughs> after your team and your suppliers and all that kind of stuff um good luck with it keep in touch and we'll touch base again maybe when we know a little bit more in a few months time but um yeah well done for doing what you do and uh keep smiling Kirsty. brilliant i can only try my best thanks so much mark it's been lovely talking to you thank you Okay, thanks for listening and uh, very much hope you enjoyed our chat. As Kirsty said, she's hoping to uh, flip to a direct retail model in the current challenges. It's not live yet, but keep an eye on Kirsty's website, uh, www.lovedrinks.com. And uh, yeah, if you can buy some stuff direct and support some of those little suppliers that Kirsty works with, I'm sure that will be appreciated. And talking of support, don't forget if you go to patreon.com forward slash humans of hospitality or direct to our website humansofhospitality.co.uk click on the link if you can do anything to support the podcast there be hugely appreciated uh, in the sort of current challenging uh, financial world of hospitality okay thanks for listening we'll get out a new episode very soon